Good evening. Bezrat Hashem. This will be for the Atzlacha of Miriam, Bat Avraham, Salomon. And this lecture is sponsored. Bezrat Hashem. Let's read the names. It's Leilui Nishmat Yochevet Dedek Lodin Bat Chasiba Shirli and for May Chaya Sorol Bat Itzchaks Leilui Nishama Bezrat Hashem Last week we spoke about Parashat Noach Two different kinds of wicked people. Wicked people by desire, wicked people by ideology. Today we're going to speak about the legend named Abraham or Ibrahim, but in Hebrew Avraham, the Shona Torah. We're going to speak about him and what happened and how the world started and how the roots of the Jewish people started. And uh, the, the most important thing is What's the consequences of it? How does it affect us in, uh, in today's world? You know, I always like to connect the stories of the Torah to every day's work to see, you know, how it affects us. Otherwise, just to learn about the story that took place 3,500 years ago is not going to be so beneficial. So before we get into that, I saw something very interesting. You know that this parasha, Avraham Avinu, is the symbol of chesed. It's the symbol of kindness. Very kind. And uh, Yaakov, it's the symbol of the truth. Yitzchak is the symbol of judgment. You need judgment. Without it, you can't go anywhere. Everyone symbolizes something. In, in today's world, one of the things the Jewish nation is doing very well is chesed. A lot of organizations, all kinds of helping, all kinds of gmachim, you know, people that need loans, people that need money, poor families that need food for holidays and Shabbat. Baruch Hashem, I can say, surely there are thousands of organizations in the world that help the miserable people. The world is divided to people who can give and people who needs to get. And the Gemara said that who actually benefits who? Everybody would say the rich people benefit the poor. The Gemara says exactly opposite. The poor people are doing a huge favor to the rich that they make them support them. Not like the secular wicked ideology in Israel that they constantly slaughter the Talmidei Shivot for a few peanuts that they give them every month, knowing that every Arab student and enemy of the Jewish nation get 105,000 shekel from the government to go be a student, that later when he leads the Hamas, he will know 
how to deal with us because we trained him, we educated him. So like this, he's gonna, he's gonna be able to kill our children faster. So the Israeli government paid this terrorist $105,000. By the way, they, the good things about the Arabs, which we have to admire, that they're not hypocrite. That's one thing I admire about them. They tell you in your face how much they hate you and how much they wait for the minute they can kill you. They're not hiding it. Even the people that sit in the Israeli government, supposedly Israeli citizens, speak in the Knesset when a murderer killed children or someone hit people in a bus stop, he called them holy. Shahids, holy. <laughs> he gets paid by Israelis and then he stands in her face and says, very good, we have to kill you all. That's the, pain, that's the painful cost of democracy. I always say, democracy needs major adjustments. The people that invented democracy, for sure, without a doubt, simple common sense, none of them ever had in mind to give rights to minority that declare that they want to kill the majority. This is to defend the weak. But if the weak say, good, defend me, that as soon as I will be able, I will slaughter you. If someone makes such declaration, democracy with human common sense should require not only not to give them rights to throw them out of the country, there are traders. You don't want people like this. When you have cancer in a body, what do you have to do? Got to cut it out. If you let the cancer spread, you're dead. That's what happened to Israel. It's too late already. We are dead already. They're already all over us in every city, every hospital, every street, every college, every high school, everywhere you go, that's it. Every taxi driver, you're done. Paris is done, meaning France. England is done, Israel is done, lots of other countries are done, like Greece and Spain and Denmark and Sweden and all the other places. Basically, they're all done. It's a lost case. There's no way to fix it. The cancer is already everywhere. Everyone that knows a little bit medicine knows that cancer can be cut while it's still in one organ. If it's in a kidney, if you remove the kidney, that's it. It's like nothing happened. The cancer did not go anywhere. But once he went to every other organ, it spreads to different organs. Everybody understands that by now the chance to get saved is close to zero. So this is what's happening. By us, it's already spread everywhere. Technically, in 20 years from now, you'll be able to have in Israel a Palestinian murderer, racist, fascist, Prime Minister, an Arab pro-Hamas. He can be the Prime Minister of Israel by the Jewish law. The stupid Israeli law. As a matter of fact, as we speak, the foolish guns, the, head, the chief head of the Israeli army, how can they let such a clown be the head of the Israeli army when he's one of the dumbest people that walk on earth? He's sitting with his Arab terrorists today and yesterday, offering them all kinds of things that they should make him the prime minister. And they already tell him, if the Palestinians will shoot rockets at you and you're going to respond, that day we will, re we will put the government down. They already say, we, going, we are joining you to help the Palestinian Hamas to kill you. Not because we 
want to help Israel. We want to help our brothers in Gaza to kill you. How are we going to help them? By us being in the government, every time you want to retaliate, we'll cut your head off. And he said, okay, come, let's meet. That's what's happening right now. This is the, chief, the former Israeli head of the army. A few years ago, he was still making the decisions what Israel should do. He's sitting now with murderers that declare in the Knesset that they won't rest until they kill all Jews in Israel. This is, the, this is his partners to the government. That's what they want to do. So, what you see, this is what's going on here. Without Torah, people can be dumber than a shoe. Dumber than a shoe. When you don't have Torah, it doesn't matter how many college degrees you have. Obama also is a graduate of Harvard. No, how did it help us? Destroy the world. Destroy America. Put Iran back in, in a place that they destroy the whole world. One thing we have to admit, one thing we know, the Iranians are not stupid. They're smarter than the whole world, smarter than America, smarter than Israel, smarter than everyone. Besides the fact that they have a lot of intelligent scientists and people in Iran that knows how to develop things, besides the fact that they were able to get the Russian to work for them, the top Russian brains are in Iran living there, working there, developing for them nuclear facilities. Besides all of that, they have somehow, for whatever reason, I can give you the answer from religious point of view, but logically it's very hard to understand. Meaning, Iran is a blessing. Logically, they should be already wiped out. So many sanctions, so many actions against them. It's like nothing happened. They're still surviving. They're managing. They should have been bankrupt a long time ago. What, three, four years of sanction? No medicine, no food. They're, they're black. They can't even do a wire. You can't do a wire from Iran. They block them from the, from the network of wires. They can't do a wire. They can't do transactions in the United States. They can't deal with American banks, with European banks. They cut basically everything they got. Their leaders' accounts are frozen. Everywhere they go, they are in a blacklist. And somehow, they manage to bribe everyone they want and to go on with business as usual. The Iraqi land their money for them, other places, China, all this, they find what to do. They're very clever. Any other country in their situation, people would kill each other on the street. Over there, the citizens suffer, but business as usual. The government continue in full force to the nuclear bomb. On top of everything, yesterday they found a new source of gas, oil, 53 billion barrels of oil it will produce. Trillions of dollars. They found the treasure yesterday. It will add 35% to the amount of export of oil that they have. Do you know what it means? Trillions of dollars income to these Nazis. That connects very well to a Midrash that we have in a Torah that the destruction of the world will start from Persia. Persia against Saudi Arabia. This was written 2,000 years ago. Persia against Arabia. And you see today, 
if you ask anyone in the world which country are more likely to go into a war than any other country, everyone will know that it's Iran and Saudis. But it's not only Saudis. Arabia means Kuwait and Bahrain, where all the money is. So we are very, very, very close to the end. Very close. Remember what's going to be the key to get, six, to, to get saved. What's the key? Torah and Gmilut Hasadim. You learn a lot of Torah. You'll be a Talmud Chacham. Your Torah will be the center of your life. Everything else is secondary. You don't care about anything else, just Torah, Torah. You push your children also to Torah. When Mashiach comes, it will save you. Even if you're not such a perfect human being, it will save you. The power of the Torah, the, uh, the protection of the Torah, the Gemara says, Torah magna umatzla. Torah is a shield and a saver to a person from many, many problems. Sicknesses, problems, all kinds of things. War, prison, to become a prisoner of war, all kinds of things like this. The second thing is gmilut chasadim. Gmilut chasadim. So we have, in our fathers, we have very interesting selection. The first one, Avraham Avinu, is the symbol of chesed, kindness, helping, volunteering, supporting. That's Avraham Avinu, feeding the poor, believing in Hashem, spreading emunah in the world, faith. The greatest chesed is to teach people Torah. What can be greater than that? You give them a treasure. You give them a thousand dollars, they eat. By tomorrow, the food will be gone. They're going to need another thousand next week. You teach them Torah, you give them the key for life of eternity. Can it be a better treasure than this? That's Abraham Avinu. Then comes Yitzchak. What's Yitzchak? Midat Adin. The Din, the judgment. You cannot, the world is not a, a zoo. Has to have order, has to have a law, constitution, justice. You have to be strict. You can't be soft. The soft approach does not lead anywhere. It's Hakmidat Adin. Then you have Yaakov. Yaakov, what is Yaakov? Emet? Emet is Torah. The stamp of Akadosh Baruch Hu, it's the truth. Yaakov is the symbol of the truth. And devotion for learning Torah. 14 years he learned Torah without sleeping. 14 years while he was escaping from his brother Esav. In the yeshiva of Shem Vaever, which we're going to see how it's all started now. The yeshiva Shem Vaever. So Yaakov is the symbol of the Torah. So we have Baruch Hashem from all three of them. We have Baruch Hashem judgment and Musar. We have the truth and the Torah, and we have the chesed, the volunteering, the giving, the donations. We got it all. The Arabs also got something from it. For instance, if you go to a Arab place, they will have great hospitality. If you go to a European that hates you, anti-Semite, Nazi, some German or Austrian or who knows what, or, or British, French, almost all of them unfortunately are Jews. If you sit by them, you're lucky if you get a glass of water. If you come to an Arab who hates you just as much, and he even tells you in your face that he hates you and want to kill you, if you come into his house, he's going to treat you like a king. That's not logical. I know you plan to kill me, 
why are you giving me such coffee and pita and olive oil and food and you're going to slaughter a goat for me? Not to talk that it's not kosher. I'm talking those Israelis that don't care about kosher. If they come to visit by the Arabs, right away, baklawa and cakes and honey cakes. Just two weeks ago you told me you want to kill me and my children. I come to your house, kill me. No, you may guess now. I'll kill you after you go. First I feed you, then I'll kill you. But at least they're not hypocrite. Now you're in my house, you're my guest. I don't show you the hate. I'll serve you. It's very interesting because in this parasha, the root of the Israeli-Arab conflict started. It's all starting now. The Ramban, 750 years ago, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, the biggest Kabbalist, the biggest Talmud Chacham, the Ramban, one of the biggest in history. The Ramban writes that because Sarah, our mother, was strict with Agar, she gave Agar to Avraham because she could not conceive. So she was strict with Agar. She made a mistake, the Ramban say. If the Ramban wouldn't say it, who am I to even open my mouth? The Ramban has the shoulders to say such thing. The Ramban writes, it was a big mistake by Avraham and Sarah. Avraham's mistake was that he had to, to say to, to, to Paro that Sarah is his sister. Where is your fate? Criticizing Avraham Avinu. Can you believe such thing? How many rabbis in history will dare to open their mouth against this giant Avraham Avinu? The Ramban did. And one more thing he said, that gadol Sarah. Meaning, Chet gadol Avraham also. When all these things, is the, Ram, the Ramban criticized them. Saying that Sarah should have not done to Agar what she did. She was too strict with her. As a result of that, we're going to suffer from her children until the end of days. All the suffering, we suffer from these Arabs everywhere you go, and their hate, and they're killing us everywhere, and stealing our country, and stealing our Torah, and turning it supposedly... You know, there's a new prophet, there's a Quran, all of that. Maaseh avot siman lebanim. What happened between the fathers, the parents, later on goes to the generations. And on the other hand, because Hagar came to be the servant of Avraham, she was a princess. She wasn't just a low life living in a desert. She was a, a princess in Egypt. She came all the way, she said, I better be a servant of this legendary Abraham than to be a princess with all these wicked lowlifes. So she began to serve the righteous. She served him. While she was serving him, when she saw Sarah does not have children, and she conceived right away, she started to put Sarah down. She doesn't treat her with respect anymore. No more, senora, si senora, por favor. No more. Now, hey, Sarale, please don't talk. She changed her attitude. This was hurting Sarah very much, but somebody righteous like her should have known how to tolerate this low life behaving. But since she didn't, how many years we suffer? 3,500 years, all over the world. And it's very interesting. No matter where the Jews run to, 
few months later, an Arab community, <coughs> community next to them. They went to Canada, Toronto, Thornhill. Few years later, they all come there. They went to Monsi. Few years later, all around, Spring Valley, everywhere you go, halal meat, halal, halal. It's very interesting. The Jews came to Brooklyn, they came to Brooklyn. They, go, they went to, to hide somewhere in Australia, they went over there. The question is why? Why whenever the Jews go, right away you have an Arab community next to it? Everywhere you go. Why is it? There is two ways to explain it. The spiritual way or the physical way? Which one I should start with? The spiritual way, it's more important. The spiritual way, Hashem already told us that this Ishmael, why his name is Ishmael? Ishmael means Hashem will listen. That's the meaning of the name. Hashem would listen to who? To the screaming of his Jewish children because of the tortures that Ishmael will give them. That's why his name is Ishmael. So if the Jews want to run away from the torture, Hashem sent the torture after them. Policemen, run after you. Why? You're not going to do what I say? Ahmed is going to take care of you. Mustafa is going to take care of you. He's going to scream in your face. Unbelievable. And the, and the physical answer is, they need halal meat. They don't have meat. They also need a slaughter animal. So they know where the Jews live, you can get kosher butcher. That's the reason they go wherever the Jews go. When they need to buy meat, they don't have halal yet. So in the beginning, they buy the kosher meat. So they come to the kosher butcher, they buy all the kosher meat, they pay, they don't care. As long as it's, it's slaughtered animal, not like the Christians, they eat any animal. They would electrocute it, killed by a gunshot, doesn't matter. By them, it has to be slaughtered. Because they know the Jews eating only slaughtered animal. So therefore, they also come to wear the kosher meat, and of course, later on, they make themselves halal meat for half a price. Why should we pay double for kosher? We'll make our own meat. But in the first few years, that's the reasons where they go. They don't know that Hashem designed it in such a way that their fake, phony religion, man-made religion, Hashem put one thing inside that they need to eat an animal that has to be slaughtered. Without that, they wouldn't search for the Jews. That's causing them always to follow the Jews wherever they go. And one more thing, you would search in the entire history, all over the world, where you have Muslims live, Arabs, all over the world, in the entire Middle East and in any other country. There are many Jews that are wealthy and there are many Arabs that are wealthy. There's plenty of Arabs that have billions. But you will never, ever, ever find in a house of an Arab a Jewish servant. Never. 3,500 years from the time of Avraham Avinu. The other way around, everywhere you go. Every wealthy Jew in the Middle East that lived throughout history had few Arab servants, male and female, all over. Morocco, Algier, Libya, uh, Iran, Syria, everywhere you go. You came to that, it's called in Arabic, Hadame. You go to the Syrian community in Brooklyn. Ask them, when you were in Syria, your grandparents, what did they have? 
all had servants. What happened? Maybe sometimes the Jews that don't have parnasa, and there's an Arab who needs somebody to walk in his house, to clean, to serve. There's no such thing. Mishamayim Hashem doesn't let it happen. Why? Their mother was the servant of Sarah. The children of Agar will be the servant of the children of Sarah and Avram. Always what declared in the Torah in Parashat Lech Lecha will remain until the end of days. Not only that, if I would come and say to you, which two countries hate each other in the world? Give me an example of uh, two countries that hate each other. Let's say Korea and uh, South Korea and North Korea, even though it's one country, but it's two enemies. If I come and say to you that the North Koreans will all be the servant of the South Koreans and they will build the entire South Korea for them, you would laugh. Somebody normal. They can stand next to each other more than two minutes. They want to kill each other. They develop nuclear that one day maybe they wipe them out. They hate each other more than anything. Look what's going on. The Arabs never hide their intention. At the same time, when they fight us and kill us on a daily basis, they build the entire state of Israel for us. Every building in Israel with no exception to the rule. Every house, every building, every hospital, every government building or institution was all built 100% by Arabs. Now, in the last few years, maybe 10, 15 years, they also bring Chinese workers. Because sometimes they don't let the Arabs in. So they have to bring Chinese people, Thailandi, Chinese. When the Thailandi people came 15 years ago for the first time, in one month all the dogs in Israel disappeared. Everybody would say, well, my dog disappeared. Did you see him? No, I didn't see him. When did you see him last? Two hours ago. He was just here. Two days later, the neighbor came. My dog also disappeared. What happened? The Thailandi saw dogs, free meal. They took them, killed them, and ate them. They ate dogs. Huh? Now you think, since they ate so many dogs and cats, that Israel will be free of dogs and cats. There's not one block in Israel that you won't find people walking with dogs. I went to Rehovot, I walk in the street, you cannot believe it. 20 people walk in the street, almost all of them with dogs. Unbelievable what's happening. And all at night you hear from the building, barking, barking, non-stop became a country of dogs. I won't be surprised if there's hundreds of thousands of dogs in Israel from the amount of dogs you see on the street. Where they got them from? Or they bring them in airplanes, in boats? Where they get all these dogs from? Hashem Yerachem. So on top of all our problems, now Iran, after Obama got them out of the garbage, Somehow Hashem sent them 53 billion barrels of oil. A barrel of oil is $55 right now. 53 billion times 55 is how much? Enough to buy the whole New York probably. 
you know what amount of money is this? They sell it. That's how. That's what they do. They sell it through the Iraqis. They pay them ten percent, and they do it for them. They sell the Chinese. They don't care. What do you think? The whole world care about American sanction? Some people are happy to help them, especially if it's going to be ten, twenty percent discount on a price. Why should they buy from the Saudi for fifty-five if they can buy from them for for forty at the same time? Ah, they break the rules. Who cares what they care about the United States? China care about what America says? They only care when it affects their banking. Like if the United States wants to put sanction against China, that means they won't be able to do business also. Wiring, doing all kinds of things. It's, that's a big problem for them. But let's move on. So I started to talk about Chesed. Avraham Avinu, it's Chesed. There is an organization called Haverim. You know Haverim or no? It started as a very small organization that people volunteer. If you have a flat tire, they come, they, change, they replace the tire for you. And if you offer them a tip, they refuse even to take the tip. It's unbelievable. You come to your driveway, you rush to work. Wow, flat tire. You dress with a suit. You don't know how to change now a flat tire. What are you going to do? Wait three hours for somebody to come? Your mechanic? Who's going to come? You call Haverim. Ten minutes later, a guy shows up. He has tools, everything. They want to save me on a George Washington Bridge. On the way to Monsi, there's a gas station. I had a flat tire. I just came back from a long flight, driving home. I have another hour, half an hour to drive home, flat tire, and uh, I cannot open the screws. It's not the right tool. It doesn't open. What am I going to do? Stay until the morning. Who are you going to call at 1 a.m.? Then a bunch of Hasidim showed up, came back from a wedding in Brooklyn, in a big car. They tried to help me, this, that. One of them was Haverim. Right, the way God is tool, drill, everything, tactic, tactic. They, Mama, save people. So, a week ago, also, something like that, they came to replace a flat tire of a guy. They pushed the car to the side of the road next to a fire hydrant. As they're replacing the, the, the tire, they got a ticket. Can you believe such fools? Some policemen came standing, giving tickets. Give them a ticket. So the ticket was $115. Is this a good thing that happened or very angry? A few, it's, it's, it's boiled the blood when you hear such thing. We came to volunteer to help this guy for free. We don't even take tip. You give us a ticket for $150 because he's blocking the road. We moved him to the side. Instead of saying thank you for your service and giving us a ticket. So, of course, they're going to plead not guilty. And, of course, the liberal judge would let it go. We already know how it's going to end. But the, that's the best thing that happened to them since they became an organization. They got free publicity on television all over New York. It's all over. It's running in WhatsApp, this, on people's Facebook pages, this article that they made about them. They actually reported it on the news, and it was the biggest Kiddush Hashem. The biggest Kiddush Hashem you can do for 115 bucks. Unbelievable. Think about it. How when Hashem wants to give you a huge bonus... What brilliant way he finds. 
any other way, if they wanted to get the publicity they got, would cost them a million dollars at least in advertisement. To publish in Facebook pages, in, to pay a newspaper, to put a commercial. You know how much it would cost them? They got a free five minutes article on the newspaper interviewing all these Hasidim. They're all people of New York, 20 million people see these Hasidim changing tires for free. They come, they refuse to take a tip. Think about it. Just for that was worth it to come to the world for these five minutes, Kiddush Hashem. People don't understand what Kiddush Hashem is. A very big mitzvah, Kiddush Hashem. So let's move on. So, last parasha, the end of the last parasha, we spoke about Terach, the father of Avraham Avinu. He went with his family in order for him to arrive to the land of Canaan. That's where Israel is today. But on his way, he passed by his, who? Haran. He passed by Haran. And he decided to stay there. Hashem came to Avraham Avinu and said, I want you to separate from Terach, from your father, also from your brother Nahor, also from, your, from all of them, the uncle, everyone and go to the land that I will show you. Over there, you're going to have children from your barren wife, Sarah, your own children, not from the maid. And you will, will you gain wealth and other blessings. Now I remember, Hashem said to Avram, Lech Lecha, Lech it's 50 in numeric value, Lecha it's also 50. How old was Avram? He was 75 years old when Hashem came to him. 75. Don't panic. 75 of the old days could still play basketball in the NBA. Still get a $20 million a year contract. As you can read in the stories of the Torah, today Hashem made us, you know, become old faster and weak and all that. But in the old generation, people live hundreds of years. You know. So Abraham... Abraham, it's very interesting, he got married when he was how old? How old was Abraham when he married Sarah? Huh? 25. And how old was she? 15. Good thing it was in New York. They would arrest them. She's minor. Hey, excuse me, Mr. Abraham. Uh, you just broke the law of the liberal state, New York State. And not allowed to get married to a 15 years old girl, woman. But like I told you, 15 years old back then was like 30 today. Bar Mitzvah back then was like 23 today. Today when you make Bar Mitzvah to the little kids, it looks like a joke. This kid is a man. Look what he's playing with. Look how he behaves. This is a man that the Torah man, people got married age 13. Few generations ago. People that came from Morocco, from Kurdistan, from Iraq, Syria, Yemen, age 12, they were married already when they came to Israel. In Bukhara, all these places. So, Avram is 25, he got married, now he's 75. How many years he suffered without his own child? 50 years. 
as of now. There's another 25 years to go. Abraham, right away, don't ask questions. He take his wife, take whatever they have, with the servants and everyone, and the converts, because Abraham made a lot of converts. He was teaching people about Hashem, and she was teaching the women. And who joined him on a ride? Who? His greedy nephew. What was his, his name? Lot. Why Lot joined him? Hashem didn't say Lot to Lot go. He could have stayed there. First, he doesn't have anyone besides his uncle, family-wise. Second, all the billions that Abraham has supposed to go to him if he dies. He is the only one who can inherit that. And now, today, you have no problem. Your uncle can be in Zimbabwe. You're going to get a call one day from the lawyer. Don't worry, the lawyer will find you. You are a trustee. When your uncle one day passed somewhere in the jungles of Costa Rica, the lawyer will call you, Mr. X, I am the attorney such and such. I would like you to come to my office tomorrow. We're opening the, the will and the estate of your uncle, and you are the, the only beneficiary. Everything goes to you. Please come to sign the paper. We submit it to the court. A month later, you're a rich man. Very good. Back in time, if you don't follow your uncle, where are you going to find him? If he dies, everyone will grab whatever he has, and that's it. You're never going to find anything. So he has to protect his assets. So yeah, he has no choice. He has to follow him. Uncle, wait. Don't leave me here. I'm coming with you. Okay. So now, they go on away. This is, remember, this is after the flood. Way after the flood. After the flood, Noah divided the world to his children. He had three sons. The land of Israel, he gave to Shem. Someone that hates Jews, his name is Anti-Shemi. Anti-Semite. Why? Because the Jews are the children of Shem. When Abraham got to Israel, the nation of Canaan, strong country, Canaanim, they occupied the land of Israel from the children of Shem. And now they called them the land the land of Canaan, Eretz Canaan. But before that, Noah gave it to Shem. It was the land of Shem. Now it became the land of Canaan. Abraham arrived to the city of where? Huh? Shem, Nablus. City of Shem. That according to the foolish New Testament, the cave of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is in the city of Shem. When every fool knows it's in Hebron. Somehow they made a mistake. Their God, whoever is their God that wrote the New Testament, did not know where Abraham is buried. You know, maybe we should send him an email to update. So anyway, you're laughing, but two billion people follow this foolish religion. By the way, in every page they have human errors. Not only this, every page. But they still manage to fool people for 2,000 years to follow this religion. You know, with the help of Santa and the tree. Huh? Yeah. 
Uh, I'm not such an expert in all the holidays. Thank you for your help. Okay. Anyway, so it says, okay, so when Avraham arrived to Shechem, Hashem came to him. He sees Hashem. And promised him two promises. What are they? First one, don't worry, you will have your own sons. Relax. That the land will return to your sons. Because you are a descendant of Shem, this land belongs to you. That's why I will make sure you get it back. Very nice promises. Beautiful. You know you have your own sons, and you know the land will be yours. Avram built right away an altar, a Mizbeach, to thank Hashem for the wonderful news. From there, he continued to a mountain in the east of Bethel. Bethel is where Ramallah is today. When the Arabs stole it from us and they sit over there, when Arafat, the rat, used to sit, Arafat was right there. That's Bethel, Mamash next to there. First month in, my, in the army I was there, right there in Bethel. Avram built his tents over there and he made another altar to Hashem. And from there he went south. What south of Bethel? When you go south, Jerusalem. He went south to Jerusalem. What was in Jerusalem? The Moriah Mountain. Where is the Moriah Mountain? The Western Wall, where Bet HaMikdash used to be. That's right there. But Hashem is giving him another test now. He told him, Lech Lecha, that's one test. He brought hunger to the land of Israel. Nothing to eat. Avram said, nothing to eat. We'll go to Egypt, what can we do? No complaints. From Israel to Egypt, how many days it takes to walk? Between 3 and 11 days, depend how fast you walk, with a donkey, with a horse, by foot, women, children, old people. Between 3 to 11 days of walking, no big deal. On a donkey, maybe even less. So, he comes to Egypt, he said to Sarai, the Egyptians are ugly people. Everyone over here is ugly. They were ugly. If they see you, such a pretty woman, one of the prettiest four women in history, imagine this. Imagine this. We see today all kinds of uh, beauty in the world that Hashem made. We wonder, how did Hashem make such beauty? All this beauty that you see today in the world, compared to Sarah, it's like comparing a person to a monkey. Take uh, the most pretty woman in the world and put her next to a monkey, right, from the jungle, and you say, you see, they're equally pretty. <laughs> People say, get out of here, you're not normal. You're comparing this to this. That's like comparing the most beautiful woman in the world today to Sarah. That's the same ratio. That's how pretty she was. One of the four prettiest women in history. Think about it. And the most modest woman, perhaps, in history. Not perhaps, for sure. The symbol of modesty, it's her. Sarai Menu, and Rivka, and Rachel. So, if the Egyptians will see my wife, what do you think will happen to me? An hour later, they'll cut me to pieces. 
and they'll take you. They won't let me keep a wife like this when they see you over there. They'll kill me right away. Please say you are my sister. Well, I don't get it. And if I say I'm your sister, they'll still take me. How is it going to solve the problem? No. These murderers, they had morality. They have few solid rules. They don't, cro they don't cross the line. They don't cross the line. What, they do what lines they don't cross? They will never touch a married woman. They'll kill people in a second. Take a knife, chop his head off. Why? Because he says something I don't like. Whoop, kill him. No problem. Check the history, how cruel they were. How they killed people. The Egyptians threw babies into the nights and just came out of his mother's womb. Throw him to drown him. Just like the Nazis. Or the Romans. But when they come to kidnap a Jewish girl, the Arabs, these Arabs, they went in the desert with their sword and horses. Yusuf, give us this daughter, she's very pretty, for the Sultan. What does he do? He runs quickly with the Ktuba. No, no, she's married already. Look, Ktuba, two witnesses. Leave her alone. That's why they used to marry their children in a very young age. Fake. When she become 12, they will ask her, would you like him? No, I don't like him. It's all canceled. But in the meantime, it's a, it's a life insurance. Because these murderers who kidnap and rape and murder, they will never dare to touch a married woman. That's how it was. So Abraham knows, if they'll know Sarah is my wife, they won't touch her. The only way they can touch her is first to kill me. And they'll kill me in a second because they have no problem killing. So they'll kill me, they take her, and that's it. If I say she's my sister, they can't really do anything. Why they can't do anything? Because I will say you need to ask permission from her father. And her father is in Israel. It's far away. So you cannot touch a girl, a woman... Unless you get permission from her father, you have to give him money, nedunia, all these things. You can also claim that Abraham said to them, her husband is in Israel. I'm her brother, we came together to get food. But she has a husband, they won't touch her. Where is that husband? He's in Israel. You can play with them now to save her life. And Abraham did all of that. Like the Mefarshim explained. But there's one thing they never imagined. But they didn't care. They just could not resist her beauty. When they brought her to, to the king, Paro, right away he tried to kiss her. Now Hashem comes into the picture to protect the most one modest woman. Why today, when some other women are kidnapped by all these kind of ISIS people, you know, let's say chas v'shalom, God forbid a million times, if a Jewish girl will fall to their hands. Is it a guarantee that Hashem will go and save her? Not always. Why Hashem ran to save Sarah from them? By a miracle. Miracle after miracle. They all got sick. Why Hashem did that? Usually Hashem does not interfere with the law of nature. Why did he have to go and change the entire thing just for them not to touch her? That they realize that she's a married woman. Why? 
So now we're going to learn a new rule. Two people, the Gemara say, went on a boat. The boat crashed and they ended up in some island. They came out to the beach and they didn't have what to eat. They were starving. And they asked people if they can give them something to eat. So one of them, of the residents of this place took the first Jew and a different guy took the second Jew. Come to my house and eat. Now remember, this is pikuach nefesh. You're allowed to eat everything. If not, you're going to be dead. The first one went. He gave him all kinds of food. He said to himself, oh my God, I'm eating pork. Who knows what I'm eating here? Non-kosher meat. But what can I do? I'll die if I don't eat. The other one also thought the same thing. The first one, his host told him, I know you're a Jew. Shh, don't worry. We, we also used to be Jews until this Christian came and raped us and tortured us and the Christian Inquisition. So we pretend we are not Jewish. But don't worry, this, uh, this meat is all glad kosher. I slaughtered them right here in the basement. It's all kosher. You don't have to worry. So you pretend that I'm a non-Jew, but the food here is all kosher. The other one, Rachem, <laughs> ate all the treif, everything. Then they met later on. The first one told him how lucky he was, and the second one was eating his heart. Why I didn't get so lucky? Why Hashem sent him to the Jew and sent me to this guy to give me pork? But they're both religious Jews. So they went to the rabbi, and the rabbi asked the guy, do me a favor, Tell, say the truth. In all these years that you keep kosher, were you really strict? Did you always keep kosher? Or sometimes there was a question about the meat or the chicken. Or Okay, let's eat only this time. Come on, I'm hungry. I'm not going to go and check it now. When you go to a restaurant, you really check if it's kosher? Or you see some guy with a beard and yamaka, it's good enough for you. Yalla, we can eat here. Why? Look at this chassid, he eats here. Do you really check? Do you really care? Are you very careful what goes into your mouth? If you are, when the time comes for you to eat non-kosher by force, you are forced to, Hashem will save you. If you don't care, you're not going to have that special protection. Same thing if you makpid always to go to Minyan. Always, no matter what you go to Minyan, snowing, this, you daven only in the shul. You don't pray at home. Where are you going, Moshe? It's two feet outside. I don't care, I'm walking to the shul. Come on, it's five blocks. How are you going to make it? Pray home. I don't go. I'm going to the Minyan. No matter what happened. There was one guy in Israel, always daven in Minyan, always. One time he came to the Kotel, there was big snowstorms in Yerushalayim. So a lot of people didn't come to the Kotel. It's hard to come with cars, buses. He was sure he's going to get a minyan. It was the middle of the night. There was no minyan. There were maybe six, seven people. So he called a religious taxi company. Four times. Call, he ordered a taxi to come. And another taxi, come. And another taxi, come to the hotel. And another taxi, he waited for them. When they arrived, he said, don't worry. Put the timer on. I'm paying you by the time. 
It's good for them. But they don't drive in the snow and they make money. And come, be minyan. We need four guys. Come pray with us. We are six. Six, even if the four pray already, they can answer amen. You need six people that did not pray to be able to pray. If you don't have six, which is the majority of the minyan, minyan is ten people, so you need six and up. If, for instance, there's not enough people, the rest of the people already prayed. So now you ask, who didn't pray? If only five people raised their hand, you can pray. Because the other five prayed. But if six did not pray, you can take four people that did pray just to answer amen. That you'll be able to say Kaddish and Barechu. That's the rule. So he got four people who already prayed, religious taxi drivers, and he brought them into the place and they, they prayed in Minyan and he, he came to pay them and none of them wanted money. When it's all such a tzaddik, that's what you're willing to do, not to miss Minyan for Arvit in a snowstorm. While Hashem, Hashem won't understand that you, wanted to, you came all the way to the Kotel to pray and, not, and today because of the weather nobody showed up. There used to be a rabbi, his name was the Radbaz. This was uh, 400 years ago. There was one Ridbaz and one Radbaz. 400 years ago in Tzfat, where the Ari Kadosh and the Marana Bet Yosef, the Shulchan Aruch, was written there. In Tzfat, all doing the north of Israel. One time there was a snowstorm and it was Tfilat Mincha. It was the rabbi of a shul. So he came to the shul in a very massive snowstorm in Tzfat. One of the only places in Israel that it snows in the winter. All the way in the mountains in the north. So when people started to show up to the shul, they saw the rabbi standing and crying. Before they started to pray, he was standing by his corner and crying. So when a person walked in, he asked him, Rabbi, what happened that you cry like this? He said, I remember my father. That's why I cry. So why all of a sudden you remember your father today? He said, when I was a kid, the Rosh Yeshiva came to my father and said, your son, don't waste his time coming to this Yeshiva. He's very, very bright. Over here, it's going to slow him down. Take him, hire him a private tutor to teach him Torah in the highest level. He can handle it. What he can do in one year with a tutor, he won't do it in ten years. Don't waste time. My father wasn't rich. My father's job was, he's making chimneys. He took bricks made in Italy. They, bring, they brought bricks from Italy to Israel with a boat. He buy the bricks and built for the rich people fireplace. Only the rich people. The poor people could not make fireplace with bricks. So he built it for them with a the chimney. That was his job. So my father said, wow, how, will I, how can I afford to get a private tutor to teach him? So he asked my mother, there's only one way we can do it. What? I heard there is a rich man in town that his son just got married. And he's looking to buy a fireplace and a chimney. And he's willing to pay big money. And there is none to get. There's no boats coming now from Italy for a few more months with bricks, 
I was thinking to take off our bricks, take it off, and build it for his son. And with the money he's going to pay me, it's going to be enough for this boy to learn for a few years Torah. Are you with me on that? He asked my mother. She said, of course. But it's going to be freezing here. You know, it's fat. Sometimes snowing, windy, very windy, always there. It's water to freeze for our son to be a Talmud Chacham. So my father took off the fireplace and he built it for the sons of the rich men. And every winter, my entire family were sitting over there shaking for me that I'll go and learn Torah in a high level. And today, when I saw the snow, I decided not to come to shul, to pray home. And I almost stay home, almost started to pray home. Then I remember my father and my family, how much they sacrificed in the snow, in the, in the winter, how much they froze for me to learn Torah. And I looked at myself and I say, shame on you. Your parents gave their life and suffered for you to become a rabbi like this. And you want to stay home comfortably and pray alone? So I right away woke up from my dream and ran into the shul. I'm still in shock for even thinking such a thing. Today people have a shul half a block from their home. Shemirachem alenu. Half a block. They don't even need a car. Just come out, cross the street, they're in the shul. They pray home. They miss the minyan, miss the baruchu, miss the kaddish, miss everything. The kedusha. Plus, people have to know that when you pray alone, most likely you have sins. Most likely people have sins. The more sins you have, the less chance that your prayer will be accepted. So if you're not such an honest man, your hands full of stolen money, and you're offending people, and you're murdering people, and you have big mouth, and you this and you that, and you're a horrible husband, and you're a bad father, and so many other sins you do, and now you stand in front of Hashem in your bedroom, why will Hashem listen to you? Your mouth cares, lie, steal from people, cheat customer, offend your wife, offend your children. So... What? This, the Satan right away? Objection! How do you let this filthy person even talk to you? Forget about asking all kinds of requests. How does he dare to open his filthy mouth to even talk to you? The Satan, what do you think? The Satan is a, is a prosecutor. Immediately you object. But when you go to Minyan, he has no permission to object because the entire davening goes as one unit. That's the rule. Can't object. I once saw a beautiful example for this from life. You know, I like to pay attention to every little thing and to see where is the source for it in the Torah. So when you go to Canada, you go to cross the border. When you go alone in your car, they ask you, come out of the car, they check the car, they check the bags, open the trunk. Not always, but there's, it happens a few times. They open your bags, literally. They open the bags, check inside what you bring, what you don't bring. But when you come in a bus with 100 people or 50 people in a bus, they collect all the passport, one representative, he gives it to them. This is the bus. Tak, tak, tak. Why are you coming for? A trip. Where are you going? Niagara Falls. When are you coming back? In three days. Where are you going to be staying? Over here. 
The whole group, yes. Okay. Tak, 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 tak. Five minutes, 50 guys pass by. Don't, didn't open bags, no nothing. When you come alone, there's always a chance to open your bags. That's exactly how it goes. When you come as a group, the tefillah goes express. You daven on your own, may take 25 years until Hashem will agree to listen to you. By the time he would listen to you, you'll be a grandfather. 25 years ago, you wanted a son. Now you're already in your 50s. Oh, finally your tefillah arrived. After all the obstacles. That's when you were 25. Now you're 55. 30 years it took until you finally reached the place why the Satan was constantly objecting. That's the difference between minyan and soul prayers. And it's very interesting because it's written in the Pasuk, Elohim Nitzav Be'adat El. Hashem is in Adat El. Adat is 10 people and up. Where we learn it from? Adat Miraglim, the spies. How many? 10. Adat, Adat, 10 over here, 10 over here. It's called Gzera Shava. So, after Hashem made the two promises to Avraham, he told him the good news. Avraham made the Mizbeach. He went to Egypt. Now, he said to Sarah, please, they're going to kill me to, to take you. Say you my sister. Save my life. What after that? Avraham and Lot. By the way, Lot, Lot, you may ask yourself a question. Lot was a tzaddik or rasha? In the beginning, he was okay. When Lot became a rasha, officially, when the minute he wanted to separate from Avraham, because the shepherds were fighting, so Avraham told him, let's not fight, we are brothers. I'll give you whatever you want. You'll be rich men already now. You don't have to wait. Choose a side. He looked to the Jordan side, everything green, kikar, beautiful. He took the good side. I'm your uncle giving you a gift. Instead of giving me the good side, you give me the opposite side. The desert, no problem. Take it, no problem. Avraham, let go. Why Lot in that case? By the way, when someone gets drunk in Israel, what's the expression to say that he's totally wasted? He doesn't even know his name anymore. He doesn't know Aru Raman Baruch Mordechai. That's how wasted he is. What's the expression for that in Hebrew? Shikor, Shikor, Kalot. Shikor kalot, laklot. So one chacham asked, why doesn't say shikor kanoach? Noach was drunk before Lot. Vaita noach, noach planted grape tree, made wine, drank wine, and became drunk. And his son, Ham, with the advice of Knan, this wicked Knan, casterized him. So Noach was the first drunk. So why they say in Israel, in the Lashon HaKodesh, Shikor Kalot? They should say Shikor Kanoach. The answer is because Noach was a tzaddik. You don't use a tzaddik as an example for something bad he did. 
you find a Rasha to do it. And since Lost already became Rasha when he went to Storm, he moved to San Francisco or to Las Vegas. From the minute he was already on the way there, what happened? No, you tell me. What happened? The Torah changed his status from Tzaddik to Rasha. Now, if that's the case, why still Hashem decided that the Mashiach comes from him? Who knows? Who can tell me why? If he's such a person that moved to Las Vegas, he's in a rodeo now in Las Vegas with a cowboy hat, sitting over there watching the horses jumping. And all of a sudden, Hashem comes to him and says, Lord, enjoying the, 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 the show? Don't worry, I have good news for you. What? The Mashiach... The Messiah will come from you. Looks like a joke. All the people in the world, Lot. Don't forget, who is the nation that came out of Lot? The old Mamzerim. Who did he bring people to the world? People were born to the world from him and his two daughters. Father with his two daughters. Imagine a father was with his daughters, and each one of them conceived and gave birth. What are these boys? Mamzerim. Illegitimate boys. And if they give birth to other kids, they're also Mamzerim. And if they give kids birth to other kids, they're also Mamzerim. So they're all Mamzerim. So what's going on over here? Later on, after this whole process, comes Ruth. Ruth comes. She converts. Right? Ruth converts. Later, David Amelech comes to the wall, and the Mashiach comes from him. What a story. What was the merit of Lot? Who knows? Two good things he did in his life. One time when the when the people of Sodom, they wanted to rape the angels that came to his house. They didn't know it's their angels. Take them out. We want them. He said, take me, take my daughter, don't touch my guest. Willing to die for the guest. And the second one, when Abraham said that Sarah is my sister, all he had to say, excuse me, Abraham, you made a mistake. You meant she's your wife. I'm your nephew. She's your wife. Why? You just told the king she's your sister. Oh, you're lying to the king? Take him, kill him. Great excuse to kill him now. They want Sarah anyway, they're going to kill him. At least now they found an excuse. Kill him, bring her to me. She's going to be my wife. Finished. So, because he was quiet that moment and did not say a word, for that moment that he was quiet... Hashem gave him a huge reward that the Mashiach will come from him. Sometimes to be quiet is harder than to give your life and to die for strangers. He was willing to die for the strangers that they don't rape them. And he did not get the merit to have Mashiach thanks to that. Why did he get Mashiach? Because he was able to be quiet. But not just to be quiet, to be quiet! When millions of dollars are on the table and all you have to do is to put them in a bag and leave. And you become a billionaire. Because if they kill Avram, you take everything. You take everything. Not only that, you're going to be a very special person in Egypt. Thanks to you, I got Sarah, so automatically I like you. Come, stay by me. 
his life can be paradise. So big deal, so they kill his uncle. But he was quiet, even though he was so greedy and he came for the money. So you see from here that what's difficult for you and you succeed, you get a huge reward. What's easy for you, you hardly get a reward. You're willing to die, but it's piece of cake for you. Why you want to die? You were raised by Abraham Avinu. Every day of your life you saw they serving guests and they taking care of the guests. Every minute Abraham made an hotel, people come, eat for free, sleep for free. So you could not be any different. Can you come say to a Bukharian, I'm going to come to your house, but please make sure not to serve anything? What is the chance that you're going to sit there five minutes and the table will not be packed with food? No matter where you go, I put my money on it. You choose from the phone book. Any Gavrielov, any Mikhailov, any Niazov, any name you want. You choose and we'll go knock on their door. And you sit there five minutes and you see what's going to happen. Food, salads, bread, chicken, ashpolo, wait a minute, this, that. Everything. Every second. Tov enough. <laughs> no, no, you're insulting us. Eat. Now you come to them and say, listen, I give you $200. Don't serve anything. Let's say they poor. I'm begging you. I give you $200. Don't serve. You're insulting me. I'll give you $500. Don't serve. Can they go? Not going to help. That's the nature. Since I'm a little baby, what did I see all my life? Every time someone walked to the house, the table is packed seven floors. Like in a wedding, seven floors. There's no room on the table. Don't worry, they found a solution. They have special standard. Second floor, third floor. Like the canyon in Israel. When you go in the parking, it will take you a week to find your car. First floor, second floor, minus one, L1, B1. Hashem irachem. Where is my car already? Baruch Hashem, they made the panic. The panic button on the remote. You know how much time it saves me in life, this panic button? <laughs> you can't find the car. I press on it. Oh, the car is all the way there. If no panic in this floor, let's go one more flight up. So what's already you are a robot. You are programmed to have hospitality. You get no, barely a reward for it. You get a reward, but not a big one. Because that's your nature. You can't do any other way. But if you are a crook and you had millions on the table and you didn't touch, oh, what a reward you're going to get. If you can't block your mouth one minute without speaking Lashon Hara, and you were there for 15 minutes and people were talking and you had what to say about that person and in the end you came out and you did not say a word, that's a huge reward. Huge reward. Why? Because it was difficult. That's it. Everything that's difficult, you get a huge reward. Top. So now, they go to Egypt, they put Sarah in a box. That's when the Rambam started to criticize Abraham, the Ramban. The Egyptians, they wanted custom. So they say, open the box. They open the box. It reminds me when I went to Costa Rica. So, you know, everybody speaks Spanish there. Places like this, it's, it's difficult to find someone that speaks English. 
When I was in Istanbul, not one policeman in the airport knew English. Everyone I tried to ask a question, they didn't know what I want from them. Some countries, same thing. You come, you speak, nobody knows English. So when I went to Costa Rica, I had a huge suitcase full of CDs, huge. So as I put it in the machine, it's very interesting. When I went to Mexico, all the people that came towards the machines, all of them, the policemen say to all of them, go to the machine. All of a sudden, from maybe 50 people that were around me, he looked at me, I'm the only one who was wearing tie. In Israel, when you wear a tie, for sure they call you. This guy probably have diamonds or iPhones. The Israeli thinks. Guy with a tie probably could buy 50 iPhones in his suitcase. Hey, you, put the suitcase in a, in a camera. Mexico, the other way around. He looked at me, you, por favor. <laughs> I went, no checking. <laughs> I had to wait to the street. <laughs> it's unbelievable, full of CDs. You, por favor. Everybody else, all these Mexicans, put everything there. Talk. Maybe so, the Yamaka, I don't know. Anyway, in Costa Rica, I put it in a machine, and this Spanish woman, police woman, she looks at me. She say, mucho. I already know I'm in trouble. That <laughs> gets packed with CDs. So she said, open. You know, they, don't, they work in the airport. They don't know two words in English. She goes like this, open. I also play dumb. I said, like this. She said, like this. I said, like this. She said, like this. I said, I had an idea. I know these Spanish people, most of them religious. So I told their Bible. I thought, hopefully, maybe she'll know what Bible means. <laughs> she had no idea what I want. I said, let's give it another shot. I said, Torah! Torah! She looked at me, Torah! Andale, por favor. Go. Then open. Go. She said, Torah, the magic word. <laughs> Until today, I wonder to myself if she understood what Torah means or she just got tired of me. <laughs> she said, just go. One way or the other, when Hashem wants, he goes in. When he doesn't want, Hashem irachem. Top. So, they found Sarah in the box. They said, oh, you're hiding her, huh? Let's bring her to the king. They took her to Paro and to Avraham, her brother, they give him a lot of wealth now. They made him rich. Take this, take that. But Hashem started to give Paro what disease? Huh? Who knows? A rash all over, like herpes. Wounds coming all over. I can't, you can't, you can't do anything now like this. They all got rash. Pharaoh and his family, and pain. It's pain, it hurts, it's itch. He can't come close to Sarah. Then he looks at the walls, you see the walls also have rash. Like a leprosy. Pharaoh said, what's going on here, ma? Two minutes ago everybody was healthy, now all of a sudden in one minute everyone got a rash? He wasn't a liberal, I guess. He was able to know it's the hand of Hashem. He was able to know it's the hand of Hashem. You know, there is a 
Israeli author, writes books, very famous, worldwide, successful worldwide. What's his name? Who knows? Yuval Harari. Yuval Harari. That's his name. You can Google him. They made a rule in Iran, they announced today, that everyone who will sell his books in Iran is subject to a serious punishment. His books are in a ban in Iran. First thing, when you read something like this, what comes to your mind? Okay, they hate Israel. Israeli author. Immediately they put a ban. No. There's other Israeli authors. This, they don't care. This one particularly, they hate him. Guess what? In Israel, he's a guest of honor. Every country in Europe, guest of honor. United States, guest of honor. Iran is an enemy of the country. Why? What's the subject of his books? Evolution. We came from the monkeys. The Iranian that wants to murder half of the world, they cannot live with someone like this that will sell books to Iranians and teach them that we came from the monkey. That's against God. How do you say God in Farsi? Huh? In Arabic, it's Allah. When the Persian pray, they also say Allah. But in their language, how do they say God? Khuda. Like the Bukharian. Khuda. Khuda. Same thing. This is an infidel who don't want his books over here. He's teaching heresy. <laughs> they are better than us. Go say it to the liberals in Tel Aviv. Why are you spreading such kfirah? Kfirah? Shame on you. You're primitive. And they say, by the way, in a message that his books are based on false theories and lies. Now you wonder, maybe that's the reason they found 53 billion barrels of oil today. I'm not joking. You never know. Maybe just for that Hashem paid them. <laughs> so, Paro gets the point. He didn't say nature, maybe we ate something. So ask his wife, what did you cook for breakfast today? Maybe we're allergic. He right away knows it's the end of God. It's a goy, a murderer, a Nazi. Who is Paro? Who are all of them? All murderers. Murderers. So Paro realized something is not right. He took soldiers to defend them, take them out of Egypt. With all the gifts. He didn't ask for the gifts back. Some people would say, excuse me, you fooled us. Give us back the gifts. I gave you gold, diamonds, this, that. At least leave everything here and get out of here. No. Who walked with Abraham? Who joined the ride? Lot was with him all alone. Hagar. That's how Hagar got into the picture. So I have a question. So basically, basically, this miracle cost us until today endless amount of suffering. 
if this miracle did not have to happen, this rush everywhere, they would never know Avraham and his wife are holy people, that God makes clear miracles for them on the spot to save them. Therefore, they wouldn't care about them, and Hagar wouldn't join them. And Avraham would not make Hagar pregnant, and Ishmael, the wild beast, would never be born. And you wouldn't have Arabs in the world, and a flight from here to China will be $18. Why it's 3000 Because of the Arabs. How much you have to pay them for the oil, for the gas, for the flight, for the security? It's all them. Everything that you pay and suffer and going online and security and all this and the machines and spending billions on security and spies and detectives and all this, it costs fortune. That's why you pay tons of money. In Venezuela, gas for free, cheaper than water. For free, one dollar a year you pay. I had guests from Venezuela this Shabbat in my house. I learned in yeshiva where my son learned. He brought them for Shabbat. Two brothers. Many Jews from Morocco moved to Venezuela. They had good years over there. Baruch Hashem. The Jews everywhere they go, they become the highlight of the place. It's no, nothing is new here. But then came the bad days of Hugo Chavez, the anti-Semite. And now came the new president who took his place, which was his second-hand man. And the interesting thing is, this guy said in one of his speeches to his nation in Spanish, look what happened to Hugo Chavez when he spoke one word against the Jews. God sent him cancer, then killed him. I'm not going to repeat the same mistake. That's what they told me. In one of his speeches, he said that. So they told me something that I could not believe in a million years. The currency of Venezuela used to be one for one. One of their bill, one bill and one dollar bill equal. Guess how much is one dollar today of their currency? Twenty-five thousand for one. The reduction in the value of their money was 25,000 times less than what it used to worth. It means that you had, if you had 10 million dollars in Venezuela 30 years ago, you were a rich man, and then the collapse happened, you woke up one day, and the $10 million became $400. That's it. You went to sleep with $10 million, You woke up in the morning with 400 bucks. You can't take a cab from here to Monsi. Do you understand what happened to this country? Do you know how much a worker in Venezuela makes in a whole month? Working like a slave? You see this cup of water? All month he works for a bottle of water. You go to the store, to the deli, how much is a bottle of, the, of, the, of water? Three dollars? That's how much they make. Three dollars in a month. Three dollars a month. Monthly salary. I looked at my sons 
And the other guests in the table, they're all like in shock, like, oh, wow, we waste so much money on food, throwing things. So I say to my son, you see this cup of water that you just left here and they're going to throw to the garbage from the bottle? They have to work a month for it. You know, like a little kid, 12 years old, for him it's, a, it's, it's beyond shocking. They don't know the value of things. They just get whatever you give them and they're happy. They don't understand. Is uh, you know, getting the point now. So now, apartments are still expensive. If you want to buy an apartment, it's three, four hundred thousand dollars. That means if you are a worker, you can never, ever buy an apartment. There's no, nothing to talk about with $3 income a month. So what happened? You need to rent. Nobody pays the rent. No one has money for rent. If they dare, they have a law. You cannot evict the tenant, ever. They're more liberal than the liberal Jews here in Manhattan. Pay him $10,000 to leave your apartment, Mr. X. Why? He doesn't pay me rent for six months already. That's okay. Let's reach negotiation. Go to the other room. Reach an agreement. Okay, listen, Mr. Williams, how much you want me to pay you to leave the apartment? Uh, you owe me for this. You owe me for that. Wow, well, you don't pay me rent already. You owe me $30,000. You want me to get out? I need a week, and I need you to give me ten more thousand dollars. Blackmail under the authorities of the liberal constitution of New York State. They care about justice. The Torah said, don't have mercy on the poor. In a judgment, you must judge fairly. Rich, poor, doesn't matter. What's the right judgment? Now, after you threw the poor out of his apartment, make sure you have an organization to help people like this. That's the mercy. But you cannot force a rich person to sponsor someone he doesn't know. It doesn't work that way. He's stealing from the real, what is Robin Hood under the Constitution of New York State? New York Robin Hood State. If they read to their children the story of Robin Hood, they ask their children, do you think Robin Hood was a good person or a bad person? So the kids would say, great guy. He took care of the poor. So the parents, the professor from Harvard, we say, no, my son, you are wrong. That's not the right thing to steal from rich people and give it to the poor. So Dad, so why you all do it in Manhattan with rent control and other walls that you, you pass all the time? Why you do the same thing? Ah, no, that's the law. It's a different story. That's really the baloney we live in. Socialism. Courtesy of Bernie Sanders, who wants to give free college to all Americans. When the country owe $21 trillion, $22 trillion. <laughs> do, do you understand what it means, free college to all Americans? It's going to be thousands of trillions of dollars. What is it? You have to be a student, meaning a good student? In America, it's not so hard to be a student. Let's put it that way. 
when they, when they don't know six times seven. Students 22 years old, they don't know six times seven. Ask an average American. It's called Luach HaKefel. Eight times nine. Wait, where's my calculator? They can't do it. So let's put it that way. It's not so hard. I mean, we're not talking China here or Russia. I can't say Israel anymore. Israel used to be very good. 30 years ago, one of the top six in the world. Today, it's, it's machines, robots. Same thing in America. All calculators, everything. It's different life, different generation. But in some countries, you still need to be smart to be a, a good student. I always give this example. If Hussein Obama was a lawyer in Harvard, everybody can. You understand? When you come to see his decisions in life, what he did as a president for eight years, and the rules he passed, and some of the things he supported, you, want, you ask yourself, what kind of a person with a brain would make a bathroom for male and female and people who change their identity, <laughs> all kinds of, uh, and, the, and, the, and the country and the, and the army of United States will pay for the surgery because Chris want to be Christine. So we're going to pay the, law, the doctors half a million dollars for the surgery courtesy of the United States Army. And then this Christina, that used to be Chris, wants to join the SEALs, the commando, against Bin Laden with their healing, with the high heels like this, and the surgery. Where are you, Bin Laden? What are you doing here? I'm, I'm in a commando. Obama said everyone can be. Same thing in Israel. Now they have a battle if women can be in charge of tanks. Tanks in a battle, bomb, these women, classy, gentle. Shem gave them to the world for so many good causes. They want to turn them into men. F-16 pilot, she flies in Iraq. Okay, drop the bomb. I'm sorry, there are children over there. They're all terrorists. What do you mean children? I'm, I'm not doing it. They wanted her to be a pilot. Don't think the Israeli pilots are any better. They also have opinions. They're all liberal lefties almost, besides the religious one. The rest are all from the kibbutzim, from these places. So they, they get angry. If you send them on a mission to protect the country, they get angry. They have observations. They have what to say. When they retire, they write books. You see how lefty they are, and you wonder to yourself how these people who hate their own country and love the enemies, how we are in their hands. They're supposed to def defend us. What would happen if tomorrow there's going to be a nuclear war and you're going to ask this kibbutznik that vote for the Arabs in a, in a government, go and bomb Iran. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to dump the bombs in the middle of the ocean. He's not going to do it. Can't rely on them. You think here in America you can rely on the Arabs that get the job? Today they published many American Arabs who work in sensitive jobs were spies for Saudi Arabia for bribe. Saudi Arabia targets Saudi citizens, ex that became Americans, and they each, I don't know each one of them, but many of them work for the Saudi government as spies 
give them information, access to Twitter, to Facebook. They spy on Saudi citizens who are against the, the regime. They check their Facebook, they check their private pages, they check what they put inside, and they go and murder them. Assassination. Why? You speak against the government. It's, it's dictatorship. Just like they killed the other one. What's, what was his name? They killed somebody. The whole world was shocking. Huh? In Turkey, they killed one of the people, some Arab. That's what's happening. Same thing Iran is doing. What do you think? They follow and spy on Persian citizens that are against Iran, that speak for democracy, that speaks against the Ayatollahs. They find them in different places. All of a sudden, this one had an accident, this one drowned. That's what they do. Today, they publish the article. Saudi Arabia, they have money. There's no problem. They find you have access to some vice president in Facebook. You have access to millions of people's account and their password. Give us the file. We'll pay you $5 million. How much is going to make in Facebook in the next 20 years? Working like a dog. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So this is what's going on. Everything is tovavo. Tov, time is running out. Let's at least finish this concept here. So, Agar is joining him. And, you know, how long Avram was all together in Egypt? Who knows? This whole story, how long did it take? One day, one week, one month, three months, a year, how long? Three months. Then he went back to Israel. Three months. When he came back to Israel, where's the first place he went to? Jerusalem. This time he came very wealthy. Rich from all the gifts. He came to a place where he made the altar before. Same place. And made it again. And now he became... A Kiruv Rabbi. First Kiruv organization is not mine. It was Avraham Avinu Kiruv organization. And he started to teach people about the one God. Everyone is idol worshippers. Now he had money. He didn't need donations. $5, $3, $7, $18. How can you build an empire of Kiruv with little money? Baruch Hashem, Hashem took care of him. Gave him millions. He came back. Now he has money. He does Kiruv. He can host people, can feed them, can teach them about God, can make them say brachot. He has the ability. He's spreading the emunah, the faith in God in the whole world. Lot is also very wealthy. Lot. He got from Abraham a lot of wealth. The shepherds of Lot, they eat from the other people. They, they steal. The shepherds say, hey, the shepherds of Abraham say to the shepherds of Lot, you're stealing grass from other people's private territory. So they answer, it's not their territory. This land belongs to Avram, my uncle, and I am the only one who will inherit him. So technically it belongs to me. So therefore, it belongs to our master, Lot. So therefore they can eat all the grass they want. They're Shakla and Tarya, Wiz, Nafkamina, Kalvachomer. 
Beautiful. They learned Mamash. They're great. They went to Ponovich, the shepherds of Lot. So they say to him, but he did not inherit it yet. If one person said to your father in two years, you're going to have my house. Can you go now in and take stuff from there now already or no? It's pure stealing. Oh, but it's anyway going to be my father. He's the, he's the beneficiary. He's going to get it one day. It's, it's written in this person's will. <laughs> but this person is live and kicking. What are you touching? You're not allowed to touch one glass of water without permission. Avram said to Lord, let's not fight. You go to one side, I go to the other side. The Gaon Mivilna says a big secret here. Avram said to him, if you go left, I go right. If you go right, I go left. How do you say it in Hebrew? He said to him, Im taimin asmeila. Ve'im tasmil aimina. Meaning, if you go left, I go right. You go. The Gaon Mivilna say, that's the secret of Maaser. We have to give 10% from our income. Any income you have, you have to give 10%. Where this idea come from? This is over here, very interesting. How do you write Maaser in Lashon HaKodesh? Mem, Ayn, Shin, Resh. Maaser. How do you write Maaser? Different word. Same spelling. Mem, Ayn, Shin, Resh. What's the difference between me'asher and me'aser? Me'asher means make someone wealthy. Me'aser means take 10% from him, like a fee. Two different meanings, same spelling. But still, the pronunciation is different. Me'asher, sh, with shin. Me'aser, with sin. Sa, sha, it's different. What's the difference is the dot. There is a dot above the shin. If the dot is on the right side, is measher. If the dot is on the left side, is measher. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the Jewish people and to the whole world, listen to the secret. If you will give 10% from your income, your net income, to tzedakah, to charity, meaning if you put the dot... It's over here, if you put the dot on the left, I will move it to the right. This is what it says here. Im tasmil, if you go left, I will make it right. Meaning I will move the dot to the right side and make you wealthy. If you put the dot on the right side, meaning you want to make yourself wealthy, measure yourself, I will take the dot and move it to the left and I will measer you, meaning I would leave you with only 10% and take 90% away from you. Many millionaires lost everything they have in the end for this reason alone. Not that they were thieves, not that they, they were honest in business, they just did not give at least 10% from their net income. Sometimes they get five, sometimes three, sometimes seven percent, but they didn't give ten percent. At least ten. Ten and up. It's interesting that I have Goim that give ten percent. Goim. They got the point. It's very good investment. If Hashem say you give ten percent, I'll make you rich. And that's by the way the only mitzvah that you're allowed to test Hashem. You're not allowed to ask questions on anything Hashem does to you. Or any mitzvah that you are 
obligated to keep. No questions asked. The only one, the only one, the only one that basically can ask questions is when it comes to this mitzvah. No other mitzvah. Usually Hashem doesn't give us any permission to ask questions. Do it and that's it. I don't understand. So what? You, you, know, you have to understand the whole constitution? No. You do what I told you and that's it. If you understand, beautiful. If not, one day you will in the next world. So, they decide that they have to separate. Lot went to the green side, Avram went to the desert side. He let him choose. He chose the Garden of Eden. Everything green. It's good for the sheep. They eat, they become fat, they become wealthier. And Lot went to San Francisco. And every week they have a gay parade over there. And the rabbis, the chief rabbi of Israel's nephew, just showed up to San Francisco. Hi, guys. Who are you? I'm the nephew of the chief rabbi. Why you came here? I came to live with you. Great. We can use him as a great support. Look, the rabbi is supporting us. Baruch Hashem, the liberal came. No? So, very nice. He came and the Torah said the people of Sodom were very evil and big sinners. In the next parasha, next chapter, Hashem will curse their place, become desert forever. Lot joined those wicked people. When you join the wicked, you are wicked. You don't, it doesn't matter that so, so far you're still better than them. You Shomer Shabbat, they're not. You eat kosher, they're not. You sit with them, you talk with them, you laugh with them, you listen to their nonsense, you do things with them. You are one of them. There's no difference. That's the rule. If you're righteous, you're allergic to this kind of people. You can't sit with them five minutes. Just you hear the, the dirty jokes they say. Every stupid thing they laugh. Sometimes people send from Israel jokes of secular people on the WhatsApp. Jokes. It's said in my eyes that the people that said those jokes, instead of sitting on the floor and crying that Jews reach at a low level, they actually enjoy the jokes. You have to see how usually it's all big, heavy people with a huge belly that basically sit and eat all day. They tell all these jokes and they have to see how they all laugh and they fall on the floor like crazy. <laughs> Not one gram of brain, empty brain. That's why they behave like this. Did you ever see a serious Talmud Chacham that would scream like Mishuga? <laughs> on the floor and holding his stomach. <laughs> I'm choking. Falling on the floor, this guy. That's 100% what the Gemara warned, warned us from. And David HaMelech warned us in the first verse in Tehilim. That's called Moshav Letzim. Sometimes it's your family. As soon as they drink one or two Lechaim, I don't have to tell you what happened after that. One dance on the table, the other one take cucumbers and put in your uncle's shoe.
then tomorrow their excuse will be we drink a little bit too much, Rabbi. Do you know what's the difference between when a rabbi drink a lot and when a lowlife drink a lot? You know what's the difference? It's very simple. In both cases, the same transaction is happening. But the results of the transaction is too opposite. When the alcohol goes in, the wine, the vodka, the whiskey, the cognac, whatever it is, when the alcohol goes in, the real person comes out. So, when you are an ignorant fool and everything in your head is only nonsense, when the alcohol goes in, it makes us 20 times stronger. So your stupidity became 20 times worse. Now everyone sees it because there's no guards. But when you are a giant Talmud Chacham and you're going to drink a lot, what do you think is going to come out? Two or three hours of Divrei Torah, non-stop, shooting and shooting. I remember I my, one of my first Ravs, Rav Rosenman, big Gaon, Kadosh, holy person. Besides Torah, literally, there's nothing else in his life. Just Torah, Torah, walks in the street in Monsi with big bag full of books, carry it, heavy, not a young man. Walks, doesn't even a car, goes to the yeshiva, walk home. You know, people give him rides, but sometimes he walks. Even when he walks, he put Walkman, you know, Walkman, the old Walkman, with a, with a CD player or cassette back in the days to listen to Dvar Torah that is wake, walking now 20 minutes, that is not going to be a waste of time. So he's listening to a lecture. Well, in a primitive way with cassettes, it used to be over 20 years ago. So one time we went to him to visit him in Purim. Purim, you drink a lot, you know. He was like half laying down like this on his chair. When he saw us, oh, all my Sfaradi students came. So he said to his son-in-law, do you know why I love Sfaradim? <laughs> so his Ashkenazi son-in-law asked why. He said, they know how to respect Chachamim. Look how they all kiss my hand. Because <laughs> we used to, we always kiss his hand. We kissed his hand. So he said to us, since you came, you tell me any word you want from the Tanakh and I give you a two-hour speech on it. Totally wasted, drunk. He drank so many wine, like the mitzvah of Purim. One guy, a wise guy over there, told him such a pasuk, nobody ever heard about it. I don't know where he got this pasuk from. <laughs> we were sure he's not going to know what we're talking about. He started to talk and talk and talk. and talk. We were there already half an hour. And he keeps talking and talking. And we're already talking to each other. Nobody even listened. And he came continue. Torah comes like the Niagara Falls. Keep coming and coming and coming. Just Torah. When he's sober, he's not going to make a show off or, you know, show us that I can speak 10 hours straight about one verse. But when the wine goes in, the real truth comes out. Now you know how big is your rabbi is. Because usually he hides it all the rest of the year when he doesn't drink. You come to a clown, you give him two, three l'chaim, ooh, what's going to happen? Punching this guy, laughing at this guy, touching this woman, grabbing her head, kissing the other one, dancing naked on a, on a chair, 
and his poor wife, she just got saved from Gehenom. From the embarrassment she gets every place she goes with her husband. Everywhere she goes, everyone knows. Here, the clown arrived. Right or wrong? You know what I'm talking about. I see in your smile that you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'll finish with a story. The rest, will, the rest of the parasha I'll finish tomorrow in Brooklyn, Bezrat Hashem. But I'll finish with a story. I once told that story a few years ago. Maybe some of you heard it. For those who did not hear it, it's good to get a Musar. When I was uh, very, you know, very young, many years ago, I used to have, uh, my parents used to have friends, husband and wife, and they had two sons and a girl. So we were like family, you know, when you have friends, they come over, okay. So the guy is is maybe six months younger than me today, I mean, back then. But he was a real clown. All day like to laugh, but not just to laugh, to laugh at people. Then we had one more person in a family that is also a big clown. I also like to laugh at people. Now what happened when you put these two clowns together in the same table in a, in a wedding with lots of alcohol? It's a World War III. So they drink, they're happy, they dance, and there's an old man there. You know, the old people, they sometimes take off their shoes. So they take cucumbers, they put it in his shoes. He's eight years old. He tried to wear his shoes. He doesn't understand what's going on. He asks his wife, what's going on? And they're laughing. They're falling on the chairs. When they finish with this old man, the young one, he decided to shop around. Maybe he can find a funny face to laugh at. I know it sounds stupid, but that was reality. So he walks around, then he found one person that was Mamash looked very, very funny. Described him how he looks. He came back to the older guy, the other clown that was still on the table. Danny! <laughs> yes, you have to come with me. Bobo, come here. What happened? I found the funniest guy in the world. You have to come see. Two drunk fools. He runs after him. <laughs> like, you know? Like they found the treasure. Where, where, where? Here! He looks at him. You fool, that's my father! How <laughs> Hashem directed him to his father to wake him up enough laughing at people. So what was the end of these two clowns? The older clown today is so depressed already for 10 years, you cannot get a sentence out of his mouth. You have to see how he see it. Like this. You ask him, how are you? He looks at you, totally depressed. The other one never got married. Stays single for the rest of his life. At one point... Maybe 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, he started to become religious. His mother said to my mother, 
Don't talk to him about religion. God forbid that he will become religious. So my mother said, why? What's wrong with being religious? She said, if he's going to become religious, how is he going to get married? So my mother told me the story. Do you believe how they talk? I say to her, because that's what she said, now he's not going to get married. Just because of what she said. And he's a nice looking guy. And they have money. And in the end, they didn't let him become religious. And what is he doing today? He's driving a taxi. 2 a.m., 3 a.m., driving all kinds of people. Tel Aviv, Batyam, Hulon, this. Single guy, stay alone. Everything midah keneged midah. Measure for measure. You enjoy the moment? Enjoy. Wait five years, what's going to happen? You ruin it for him? Five years later, it will come around. Like they say in America, what goes around, comes around. Smart sentence. Or like the secular people in Israel said, doesn't matter who laughs now. Tzohek, Misha Tzohek Acharon. We will see who's going to be laughing in the end. Who's laugh in the middle of a boxing match. One guy is happy, raising his hand. First round, second round, third round. Waving to his audience. Everyone screaming, why you the champ? One minute before the end, the other guy out of nowhere gave him one punch, crushed him. Tomorrow morning, anyone will remember that he was dancing and laughing and waving? Nobody would remember this. When they ask who's the champ, <laughs> the other one, one punch and he's the champ. They can laugh now, religion, this, primitive. Someone told me now before I came here, that was in Florida, for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. When he started to tell me the story, his face became so serious. He told me, you don't understand what a nightmare I had in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. I said, what? He said, we went to Florida. Where I, where I stayed, there is a shul. Every time I went there, I go to that shul. During the year, it's fine. We dive in there, we go, you know. I never been there on Rosh Hashanah. When I got there, I got the shock of my life. All these people from overseas came, without saying who, because then you'll know what community I'm talking about. He said to me, if you saw how the shoe look, you would sit and cry for a month. All naked women, all mini scared, all, all their backs open. Rosh Hashanah, people with cell phones, texting each other in the middle of the davening on Rosh Hashanah, the judgment day. Talking about Wall Street, the entire davening, which company. I turn around to two people behind me. I say, excuse me, what are you doing here? Go across the street to Starbucks. Go over there. What do you came over here, Bichlal? What are you coming to the shul for? He said to me, I had to see such a bizayon. Bizayon of Hashem, bizayon of the judgment day, bizayon of the synagogue. When you hear how low our brothers and sisters reached, how low that they come in a judgment day with a cell phone, with a car, 
totally naked inside the shul and the entire davening speak about business they don't even look at the sidur bichlal just come to talk you don't know what to do anymore you ask yourself wow we struggle so much we try so much we make bal tshuva here and another one there and another one there and then you see communities communities Say, I said, what was the rabbi doing? He said, all he cared about is about the money. Just to raise money, and he gave extra 30 people to go up to the Torah. Because each one was a thousand dollars, mandatory. Mamash like a market. The judgment day. So you're supposed to have a few olim and Rosh Hashanah, instead of five, and maftir. Extra 30,000 quickly, Mishaberach, another one. So I'm sitting there for two hours until everybody finished to go up because he's basically doing business. He said to me, he cannot believe what happened there. He never knew. It's a different crowd. Not the people that lives in the area. The people that lives in the area were pushed to the garbage. They couldn't sit in their chairs. He said, I came to my chair that I sit there every Shabbat when I go there. He said, excuse me, that's my chair. Who are you? I paid for the chair, look. <laughs> so they threw me out to the end. Me and all the other people that come every Shabbat. Why? Business. Do you understand, Rabotai, why the Mashiach doesn't come? You worry about the secular people. Secular people, most of them don't go to shul. They don't go. This is people that are traditional. Meaning, two generations ago in their country where they came from, their grandparents were very religious people, rabbis, hachamim, and look what they became. The greed for the money, the greed to become goyim, the greed to behave like the goyim, the greed for the business, for the show-off, for the houses, for the vacations, left nothing Jewish about them. Nothing. Where we live, there's also billionaires. They behave like this. Come to them. You won't even know. Down to earth, supporting, giving, sponsoring yeshivot, driving simple cars. Everything down to earth. They never talk about their wealth. They embarrass if someone mentions it. Not like them. They have one million, they pretend they have 50. I buy this, I buy that, I order the new Tesla. That's all they talk about. And then, then they have maybe this illusion that they are religious. They have to believe such things. Heartbreaking. Marash heartbreaking. But an hour before the lecture I heard this. An hour before the lecture. 7 p.m. Got the shock of his life. I said, so what did you do for Yom Kippur? He said, I went long, long time. I found the shul with 15 people, Ashkenazim. 15 people, small minyan. That's where I stayed, Yom Kippur. I couldn't enter that place. Such a bizayon. I told him, I don't understand. Why you go to Florida and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? To begin with is a mistake. Exactly, Mama, she tells me now when, the, when Lot went to Sodom. And look what was his end. Why do you even go to places like this? Who wants to be in places like this in holy days? 
There's a reason why in English they call the Chagim holidays. Holy days, days that are holy. It's not days in Wall Street, days for the beach. It's days that are supposed to be holy. You turn it into Hashem Yerachem, the total opposite of holy. Well, what's holy about it? When women come with heels like the, 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 the Twin Towers into the synagogue with mini skirts and nothing on the back. The whole back is, I was saying to him, cannot believe, I felt like I'm in a beach. And cell phones in their hands only open. I don't, I don't know. I've never been, Baruch Hashem, in a reform synagogue except one time when I just came to America a few days I was here. We looked for a synagogue for Yom Kippur. We didn't know. So near Main Street, 30 years ago, me and my friend looked for a synagogue. We asked people, do you know where is the synagogue here? They told us, go over here. We walked in. We, we did not know anything about Orthodox and about Reform and about Conservative. None of these things. What did we know? Two Israelis, 21 years old. We were there for one minute. We wanted to vomit. Two secular Israelis from the beach. Totally far from Torah. Totally far from Judaism. We just walked into that filthy, impure, reform place worse than church. Me and my friend, we looked at each other. I, we asked each other, is this a synagogue? Or a church. He said to me, Look, there's a Mag and David here. I said, Something doesn't add up here. So, women, men, everyone makes this, that. And I tell you that those reformed people did not behave like the people he described in that supposedly orthodox shul in Florida. They were not dressed like that. I remember. Dress, solid. Reform. Reform is a different religion. It's nothing to do with Judaism. They had more dignity than these supposedly people that call themselves, I don't know, traditional. I don't know how to define them. Do you understand, Rabotai? If you do it, do it right. We'll see you Bezrat Hashem next Monday. Tomorrow I'm going to be in Brooklyn at 30. Wednesday also in Brooklyn and Thursday also in Brooklyn. It worked out three nights in a row in Brooklyn, Bezrat Hashem. Today and tomorrow we're going to have a live broadcast. The Wednesday and Thursday, I don't think so, Bezrat Hashem. Next, when, next Monday, Benji will come back. Thank you, David, for coming all the way from Brooklyn. David is in charge of the live broadcast in Brooklyn. But the last two Mondays, as you saw, Benji's brother got married in Israel. So Benji is coming tomorrow, coming back with Hashem. He will be back in charge. He has this extra microphone that makes the live broadcast a little bit louder. A lot of people, they cannot hear. I don't know why in Facebook it's hard to hear We'll try to do it as much as we can, even with a microphone next to the mount. Still people complain. They can hear. I don't know why. Thank you very much. Baruch Adonai Amen.